do one quick thing today. I'm going to give you some more Noah dad jokes because last time when I did this, it went over so well. So I'm going to do it again today. I got some better ones this morning. And so, and dads, your kids are in kids' church, other than my kids, they're here, but everyone else's kids are in kids' church. So, dads, you can use these, okay? I give you permission to use these. Don't tell them, don't tell them you, you heard it here. Just, you can take full, you know, it's, it's all yours. But anyway, so the first one why did Noah have to punish the chickens? Anyone know? Because they're using foul language. There we go. All right. Uh, what, is, what is the first meat dinner mentioned in the Bible? The first time meat is mentioned. Now, if you're a first service, don't cheat this morning. Okay, Dan. There, you know. What's the first meat meal mentioned in the Bible? Well, of course, it was when Noah took ham into the ark. Right? His son was ham. That was his son's name. Okay. It's a bad way to explain it, right? Uh, all right. Last one. This is a good one. Which animal did Noah not trust? Well, it's a cheetah, of course, right? I mean, come on. You know, it was a cheetah. So, and the last joke is a picture. Actually, it's a, it's a, it's a cartoon uh, here. So we got a little, little cartoon. It's coming, I, I promise. Nobody is leaving the ark until you tell me what you did with those caterpillars. Come on now. And, and some of you are going to be like, I don't get it. And you're going to get it in about uh, 10 minutes. You're like, oh, now, okay. And you're going to laugh. And, yeah, because it is funny. Trust me. But, but anyway, man, I'm, I'm really excited to bring this message today. And so, again, we're picking up where we left off last week. And last week, we found Noah. Who, Noah was in the ark for over a year. He went in on God's word. He came out on God's word. And for that year, life kind of stunk, right? He was in a stinky place for a whole year. And, and again, what's interesting is that he was there for a year on God's word, on God's call. He was there, and, and of course, you know the story. If you don't know the story, uh, it's in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9. And Noah comes out of the ark and he steps into a world that's different from what he was when he stepped into the ark. Now, he steps into a whole new world. Everything's different. We know that before the ark, there was no rain. Now there would have been rain. Before the ark, it would have been temperate climate. Uh, the topography was different. I mean, everything was different. So when Noah steps off the ark, he has no concept of what he sees as he sees what he sees. This morning, you're like, now I get that. All right. It's, he was in a tough spot. And, and what do you do when you're in a spot like that? And I think a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? We, we? we find ourselves in spots sometimes that are sticky or stinky. We find ourselves in these spots that we didn't really plan on being in. And now here we are, and everything's different from how we thought it was going to be. What do you do in that spot? Well, Noah, we know, does a very smart thing. Noah builds an altar and worships God. I love the story of Noah, and I love it more the more I study because of what it speaks to us in our current world of how we react to things in moments like this. Noah builds an altar, and he worships God. And, and that action is the framework from our passage we're going to read today in chapter 9. But I want to pause for a minute because notice what happens when he worships God. When he worships God, when he gets into God's presence, he starts hearing from God. God starts giving him instruction. God starts giving him things that he should do and say and such. And he does this on the moments and the time when he worships God. I've said this over and over again. I want you to hear the importance. You, when you spend time in God's presence, parents, listen. When you spend time in God's presence, both corporately and individually, you should have both of those things. When you spend time in God's presence and you listen, he speaks to you and he works in your life. Amen? 
That's how he does things. And, and I like this because Noah could have probably had more questions than answers, right? He probably did, but, 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 but he doesn't come out to solve his questions. He comes out and gives God praise and glory. And, and that's just an incredible moment. And that's what leads us into today. Verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, And God blessed. Everyone say, blessed. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. If you're a hunter this morning, you better be shouting amen, right? Because you're, this is your verse. When you're out there and you're, you're, you're hunting your deer or whatever you do, I hunt bargains. But no, I'm just kidding. I really don't. Now, now if you're hunting out there, this is your word, man. God's given it. No, uh, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And this is, this is Peter's favorite verse. No, I really did it this morning. Now, and as, as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So what this happens, what's happening here is that when God created mankind, he gave mankind dominion over the animals. But at that time, they would have been vegetarians. And so now, uh, God gives the benefits, not of, of animals as just, as just being dominion, but he now gives them the benefit of sustenance and, and food. So next time you cut into that, that perfectly grilled steak, you know, that filet mignon that's got the, the, the cheese sprinkles on it that's just so well rubbed and, and it's just perfectly made and you cut in and the inside's got some pink in it, red in it, and, and you dip it in nothing because you shouldn't have to dip your steak in anything. When you do that, you can say thank you to Noah because Noah listened to God's voice and God blessed him in, in such a cool way. And so we can continue here, verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now you're like, that's a weird thing to say. But, but again, what this does is this establishes a, a rule that will later be repeated in the Mosaic Law that shows people how to do this. It gives boundaries and parameters around the blessing of God. And so, again, we know that this is actually a very good idea, that cooking animals in their own blood is gross, but it's also uh, not, not, not healthy, especially in these days, before they had what we have nowadays. So, so when God gives a rule, he doesn't just do it to make our lives miserable. He does it as a blessing. Amen? That's what God's doing here, and he sets this up, and then he continues in verse number five. He says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I'll require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I'll require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. So again, what God is doing here is God is setting up blessing, but also setting up some parameters, because here's the deal. And this is what frameworks this entire passage today, is that with blessing comes responsibility. With blessing comes responsibility. And, and as, as, as God gives Noah the rest of this word, again, as he is worshiping God, as God gives this for the next nine verses, there is a word that keeps coming back over and over and over again. Now, I'm not going to read the whole nine verses, but you can notice the word there. If you have it in your Bibles, you can see it up here in, in a minute. You, you see here that it's the word covenants. This word covenant is an important word. 
He uses this, again, seven times right here. It's, it's peppered here. And if you read this passage, you're like, man, it almost seems like God is trying to say something because it, it's repeated so often, and it just feels like God's trying to do something as he says this word seven different times, repeated seven times. It's pretty incredible. Now, why would he do this? Well, remember, before the ark, there was no rain. Before the ark, mild weather, there was temperature, it was temperate weather, there was no natural disasters and such. And so that was before ark. We talked about that already. But, but now they're in a spot, and now we know that rain is not bad. It's a good thing, isn't it? We like rain. Now, I know it's been raining a lot lately and, and, and such, and I'll be honest with you. I planted grass in my backyard, so I've been praying for rain, so I'm sorry. It's my fault. But, but, but no, rain is a good thing, isn't it? It's a blessing, it doesn't rain for a time, it's pretty bad. And so, so that's how we see rain nowadays. But what if you would ask Noah at this moment, at this time, Noah has still not yet seen rain outside of what he saw uh, before. He comes, he is right off the ark. Here he is. What if you had said, Noah, what do you think about rain? He just said, in all of my 600 years, I have never seen something worse than rain. He would have said, in all my years, I would, I, no, it was, it was awful. Because the last time it rained, I had to go into an ark with a bunch of stinky animals for a year. And so if you would have said, no, what do you think about rain? He'd have said, it's terrible. And he would have thought that if he didn't have what God told him as he was worshiping God. Because if he didn't have that word, what would have happened the next time it rained, Noah would have run right back into the ark where it, was, where it stunk, but it was safe because that's what he knew, and that's what was happening, and that was a spot that he knew he could go if he had to go. But I'd argue that if he went back into the ark, it would have been a, a disaster, as we know. But so, so Noah has this word. Noah has this thing. God speaks to him. God shows him that, Noah, you have seen rain, but it's not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to use rain to, to do what I did in the past. Things are going to be different. From here on out, rain will be, in fact, a blessing. But again, if Noah doesn't hear this, if Noah doesn't know this, if Noah doesn't believe and stand on this, Noah's right back the stinky mess he left just a little bit ago. And see, I think this, again, is a spot where we can relate more than we may understand or think. There are times in our lives where we are in a spot and a place and a moment where things are difficult and tough, where that's just the way that it is. And, and, and rather than us do what God tells us, or rather than us take a step of faith, we go back to the place we were before where it, it kind of stunk, it was kind of difficult, but it was safe and it was easy. And we never get out of that storm. And see, this passage here shows us something that God is a God of covenants. God is a God of promises. Of course, the picture you see in this passage is the picture, of, the word picture of a rainbow. Verse 13 uh, talks about that. Now, in, in this version, I have, I'm using the ESV, which I oftentimes use. The ESV translates that word rainbow as just bow. 
And, and that's actually a better translation because this word is, in fact, the word bow. It's used 72 times in the Old Testament, four times it is inferred its rainbow. The rest of the times it is understood as being a bow, as in a bow and arrow, or otherwise known as a weapon of disaster, or a weapon of destruction. So what God essentially is saying here is God is essentially saying here, Noah, I've hung my bow of destruction up in the sky. And if you ever forget about this, I am a covenant-making God. This is your reminder. Now, when you think of rainbow, what do you think of? Maybe think of, uh, of Lucky Charms, right? Like they have them in Lucky Charms, and they're pretty amazing. And so I, I like those. Maybe you think of leprechauns, or maybe you think of, you know, pots of gold. Uh, this picture here is a picture from our vacation this last summer. We were up in the UP in Michigan, uh, on Lake Huron, as we oftentimes do in summertime. And, and this picture is not photoshopped. I am not an expert photographer. I am not at all like that. I'm just a dude that turned around and saw a pretty incredible moment that I had to capture. And so I took this picture, and it's, it's pretty amazing because my girls, who are actually here right now, uh, they, they said, Daddy, we got to get out there because there's a pot of gold there. Right? Like, we got to get out there, man. You got to go. And, and Eddie wanted to get a boat, and she wanted to take a boat out there because she's like, Daddy, don't you know there's gold out there? You got to get out there. And so I'm like making excuses. Well, honey, there's no boat, and it's kind of difficult, and it's just pretty wet, you know, all that stuff. She's like, no, Daddy, get out. There's a boat of gold out there. You know, it's pretty, pretty awesome. But, but, but what you don't see is you don't see what happened 15 minutes prior to this moment. Because prior to this moment, it was a very different scenario. What you see here is a peaceful, beautiful uh, rainbow. It's just an awesome moment. But 15 minutes prior, there was a pretty big storm. Now, if you had been on this island 15 minutes ago, uh, many of these islands out in Lake Huron, they're low. They're not real high. And so the water comes in, and it's, you get pretty good waves out there. And the water beats on these islands and can wash over them and, and can flood them. And it's a pretty scary scenario. And that's what's happening. It was a very big storm, uh, lots of rain, lots of wind, lots of lightning, lots of thunder, and, and that's happening. And then it goes past, and just afterwards, we have this moment right here that we captured, which is pretty stinking beautiful and pretty amazing. Because, see, when you're in the storm, all you think about is survival, right? The adrenaline kicks in, and the, 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 the adrenaline starts moving. You're like, oh, we're in a storm. i gotta, I got to survive. i got to make it. i got to do whatever it takes. And so oftentimes, those are stinky moments, aren't they? No one wants to be in a storm because they, 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 they kind of stink. And so that is so often our, the life that we have lived. And see, the question we, we come to today is what do you do after the storm is over? Because a lot of believers, we live our lives in the storm. Even when there's no storm, we are still living in the storm because we don't know how to walk outside of the boat and start living as God's called us to outside the storm. See, Noah could have been in that same scenario, but Noah worshiped God, heard his voice, and God gave him some incredible instructions, and God showed that he's a promise-making, covenant-keeping God. See, when you walk out of the storm, you have to understand that our God is a promise-keeping, covenant-making God. Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and he is faithful 
in all he does. You live in the influence, you live in a world made by a promise-making, covenant-keeping God. Now, a lot of us would say, duh. We all, everyone knows that, that Christians say that, and everyone knows that that's the case. But, but here's the deal is that we may know this, but we don't always live like this, do we? We don't always walk in this. We don't always walk like that he is this promise-keeping God. We oftentimes walk back to the storm, back to the ark, back to where it stinks, and live there over and over again. Noah is learning from God how to walk outside of that storm, what life is like after the storm. And it looks a lot like resting, walking, sustaining, staying, and keeping. Otherwise known, blessing comes with responsibility. See, we, we want God to just bless us, right, and let God just take care of all of our problems. When God has taken care of problems, but he's also brought with us some, some responsibilities to walk in that, to walk in, in his blessing. And so there's some things I want you to, sh- to share with you today as we continue here. Some five, five thoughts on, on, on walking like God's called us to. The first one is to, we need to learn how to rest on God's character. Rest on God's character. A promise is only as good as the character of the person who makes the promise, Right? You know this. You have people in your life who you trust and some that you may not trust. And, and, and what separates the divide there is their character. Are they a person of character or are they a person not of character? So I asked you today, who is God's? Is God a person? God is, is God a, a being? Is God a God of character? Is he a God of integrity? Can he be trusted? Can, is God a God who we can put our lives and our hope on? Is that how he is? And if he is, if that's how he is, we can rest on his character even after the storm. Even after a difficult moment, we can, we can do this. And how we do this, we have to understand his promises, right? And I didn't say understand what somebody else says are his promises. I told you that you have to understand his promises in your life. The Bible is full of God's promises. The Bible is full of times when God says, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this. We have to know God's promises. And we have to be people who want to understand and know those things. And then it comes to where we are then to judge him faithful or not. Is God faithful or is God not faithful? See, if we want to walk outside the storm, we have to establish ourselves first with knowing, is God a God who can be trusted? Is God a God of character? If he is, you can rest on his character. Which brings us to number two. See, we also need to learn how to walk by faith and not by our senses. Faith is not an assumption, but rather it is a heart conviction that has been birthed by the words your, your faith, is, faith is only good as what you have faith in. I mean, I can have faith in, in an old Chevy. The problem is it's an old Chevy. It's probably not going to work because it's a Chevy. And so, you know, you can have faith in this kind of stuff. And, and, and faith in something is just faith unless it's faith in you know, a thing that can, that, can, that can come back and can prove it. God is God, a per, God of character. Is a God of ability? Can you do this? Well, yes, then we can come to where we walk by faith, not by our senses. Noah had this tested in this moment. Because the very first time that, rain, that Noah felt rain on his head, now I would have felt it because I'm bald, and maybe Noah was too, I don't know, he's 
600 years old. He might have been bald. Uh, but if he, the first time that raindrop fell on his head, he, this word that God gave him was tested. God said, I'll never judge the world with rain anymore. God said, I won't do this anymore. God said those things, but now here I feel it. I've never seen rain outside of that time that put me on the ark. Now here it is. God said this. Am I going to stay here or am I going to run back to the ark where it stinks? I have to make that decision. And church, this so often is where faith dies. Because we see things that don't always make sense. We see things that maybe God gave a promise to us years back. We see things that seem to go in the other direction. We walk in those directions and not the direction that God called us to walk in. Why it's important to hear his voice. It's why it's important to rest on his character. To walk by faith and not our senses. Faith requires you to practice the words. When there are promises in the word, there are oftentimes with those promises, there, are, there are, are, are calls that God's placed upon us. Those are the prescriptions to, that, God, that God's call us to practice. When we put those into practice, God begins to birth something in us, which is faith. And Hebrews chapter, chapter 4 verse 3 talks about that, 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 that there is an evidence of, of faith, and the evidence of faith is rest. Now, I'm going to pause here for a minute today because I'm going to, I might step on your toes, and that's okay. That's what you pay me to do. But no, I might step on your toes this morning a, a little bit because this is election season. And you're like, oh, great. Now, I, I'm not, a, I promise, listen here. Uh, it's election season, and we all know this. We can hear this all the time. Um, what, what, what we see in election season oftentimes is a, a state in a series of very high unrest, is people get worried if this person wins or if this person wins, then what's going to happen? What's going to take place? If this person wins, everything's going to fall apart. If this person wins, then everything's going to be okay. We have our rest dictated by what direction the elections go and do not go. Church, do you hear what I'm saying? God has not called us to have our lives and our hearts and our emotions dependent upon who wins the election. You will know if you are a person who's walking by faith if there is evidence of rest in your life. If you right now sense this uneasiness and this unrest over what the future holds, I would encourage you to look back and say, is God in control or is he not? Now I'll say this as well. That does not mean we don't, we don't uh, uh, vote. And it may feel like I'm just going back. I'm not. You, you have to vote. Your vote is your seed. That you need to place that seed. You say, well, it doesn't matter what I vote. Yes, it does. It matters for you. It matters because you are standing up for what you believe is right. If the believers who have the truth, the believers who hold and understand the truth, if they don't vote, then we know what's going to happen. Church, you need to be out and you need to vote. You need to cast your vote. Let your voice be heard. If you don't vote, you can't complain, period, okay? That's just how it works. If you, you know, if you're like, I want to complain, I'll say, did you vote? No, well, too, too bad. You, you need to vote. That's important. But your vote or the country's vote doesn't, does, God is not like wondering, what's going to happen? You, you know, he, he's a God who is strong, who is big. We can walk by faith and not our senses. And the evidence of this is rest. Which brings us to number three, sustain, you can sustain your faith with patience. Patience is an indis indispensable companion in our, our journey. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a patient person, okay? 
My wife yesterday said, Steve, you're not patient. I said, duh, of course I'm not patient. I'm like a type A. I'm, you know, all the letters I have, them, all those kind of things. You know, I don't like waiting for anything. I just, I just have a hard time with that. Yeah, patience is hard. It's been since I was a kid. And some of you look at your, your spouse and say, that's for you, man. You know, are you late? You know, whatever. You know, patience is a hard thing. Now, I've got news for you this morning, though. Patience is not you try to drum up and work hard on and say, I'm going to try to be more patient because if you do, you probably won't be. What's cool about patience is that patience, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. How does fruit of the Spirit grow? Well, it grows when you are in his presence. See, it all comes back full circle now, doesn't it? You see, you're in a tough situation. You're in a storm. You come out of the storm. God starts calling you to the spot. He starts speaking you some things into your life. The closer and the longer you walk with him, the more he grows in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience. It grows as you spend time in his presence. You see, you need to sustain your faith with patience. There are things God started in my life when I was in college. 20-some years ago. I won't say how many years, but 20-some years ago, God started things in my life in college that only now started to come to fruition in my life. 20-some years. There's things that God does in our lives that require patience. Patience sustains faith. Patience sustains faith. And the fourth one today is you need to learn how to stay expectant. The farmer sows seed we know this is, a, this is a, a, a scriptural principle. The farmer sows seed expecting a full harvest. God's promise to you is, will not fail to perform what it's supposed to. If God promises something, when you plant a seed of faith in that thing, God will do it. When God has a promise, he is strong, he is true, and he will act upon that promise. You can take that to the bank. There are things in your life that, God, that are just there, not by happenstance, but because you have planted a seed or you have not planted a seed. You see, you need to learn how to stay expectant because God will finish a good work in you. Can I have, hear an amen this morning on that? You need to know that this morning. And that works in you declaring those things. You gotta say that stuff. You gotta tell people, I expect God to do this. I expect God to do this, this promise that God's given me. I expect it. I am working towards that. I am believing God for that, for that promise. The word says these promises are yes and they are amen this morning. And, and to do this, you need to learn to choose your crowd wisely. You need to be around people that build up your faith. Be people that are not pulling you away, but pulling you towards. You've got to put people like that in your life. People who are influencing you, and are, that are building up your faith. And then you also need to learn to be a person who builds others' faith and not their doubts. Now I'm going to pause again. I'm going to get even worse now. Here, some of you I have muted on Facebook this year. And the reason why is because your posts about uh, politics are not building faith. They are building fear. They are building concern. They're building all kinds of stuff. You need to learn how to be a person who builds faith, who builds faith in your life and builds faith in others' lives. If your life, if what you say and how you operate, it is only building fear and building anxiety and taking people away from trusting God, not towards, then you need to change how you do things. 
unmute, now you can leave. No, I'm just kidding. No, you're like, that's it, man. This guy, he's crazy. Now I know he's crazy. He's crazy today. But no, I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to tell you, I will follow you again after the elections are over. I will do that. But until then, mute. Because I don't want those words in my life. We're not putting our heads in the sand, not saying, well, I don't, I know what's going on. You know what's going on. God, is God big? Is God strong? Is God able? Can God do this? Can God do exceedingly, abundantly above? We were asked, think or pray. Is that the word? Yes? Okay, then there you go. When it comes to what's happening in our culture and our world, that's the final story. Not who wins and who loses. Off rant. Okay, the number, number five, the last, last one today is, as, as, uh, as Joe, Pastor Joe comes, who is in the band this morning. Number five is you need to practice this. You need to be a, a promise keeper. And I promise I'm closing here real quickly. You need to be a promise keeper. I think this is important for us to consider. So I put down some ideas on how to be a promise keeper. Things God's working in my life and, and helping me to understand how this works because I've had to work in this myself too. But the first one today is you need to remember whose you are. Every morning, every day, we pray with our girls. We pray a prayer that says, like this, we say, Lord, I pray over my daughter, Emmy, my daughter, Michaela, today, Lord, I pray that she would remind her whose she is, remind her who she is, that she is yours and she is ours, and we love her so very much. I only have girls, and so that's why I said, I said her this morning. You see, they, they know that prayer because we, we say that every day. My girls need to know whose they are. You need to know who you are. You need to know whose you are. You are a child of the most holy king. You're not some half-hearted, half-dim-witted, whatever, half-person off on the side that no one cares and no one thinks about. You're not those things. You are a child of the king. If you're a believer, he has given his life for you. He has given his blood for you. That makes you something pretty incredible. You, that's who you are. You are his child, a child of the king. You need to know whose you are. And by knowing that, know that the Holy Spirit gives power to live and to do what he's called us to do. Number two, you need to understand promises come with responsibility. If we break them, it, it, we suffer the consequences of, of loss. Parents, you need to learn how to make promises to your children that you're going to keep. Not just saying things to get them off your back or saying things to just be, and be quiet, but, but that your promises mean something. You don't want to teach your kids someday. You don't want to teach your kids that, that you break promises. You want to show them that you make and you keep promises. Understand promises come with responsibility. That leads us to the next one. Say yes or no, but not yes, then no. Let your yes be yes, as Matthew 5, 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You might need to take on, you might need to admit that you can't do something for a season. That's okay. It's better to say no than it is to say no in your action. Or you might need to also take on things, though. You might need to step out of your comfort zone and do something and then follow through with it. Say yes and no, not yes, then no. And then believe in the power of your promises. People trust us to do what we say we will do. You know that? You know that because you've had people break their promises on you. Don't you do that to somebody else. Within the power of your promises, because as ambassadors of Christ, it's not only our character at stake, it's also people form opinions about Jesus based on our action. And the best news of all is that you can ask the Holy Spirit for strength to fulfill your promises. If you're not a promise keeper this morning, you have a hard time with that, you are not alone this morning, but you do have the power of the Holy Spirit 
who is living and active inside of you to help you in this, unless, of course, you're not a believer, which is when you stand across this room this morning, I gotta ask the question. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Have you given your heart to Jesus? If you haven't this morning yet, I want to encourage you to do something that is the greatest moment. It will, you'll look back on this as the greatest moment of your life. When you finally decide to say, Lord, I need you. If you've not done this yet this morning, I would, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And I want to ask you to repeat after me. All of us, repeat after me today, but especially you. If you don't know Jesus, let's repeat this prayer this morning. We're going to ask him into our lives and into our hearts today. We're going to ask him to forgive us and to change us this morning. If you don't know him yet, you can know him. It starts by this, this morning, by taking the time to pray and inviting him in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I don't know you yet, but I love you. And I ask you to come into my life. I'm sorry for my past. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. Clean me. Make me brand new. From this point forward, I'm yours. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. As we're going to celebrate this time and we're going to seal what God's done in us this morning by taking some time in communion. This morning in first service, this was a powerful time as people had some time to reflect and think. And you might be here today and God's challenging you in some area in your life, but you need to remember today that God is a covenant-making, promise-keeping God, and this is where it started. This is where it starts. It starts by him, by Jesus giving his life up for you. You can't, you can't, you couldn't do it yourself. You know that. He did it. I'm gonna pray in a moment, and when I do, we're gonna do this a little different today. I'm gonna have you come forward and grab an element of communion this morning and go back to your seat and hold on to it. We'll take this together this morning. Jesus, this time is a time of reflection and thinking and just time where we're gonna be in your presence. Lord, search us. As David said in Psalms, Lord, search me and know me. Lord, see if there might be anything in me that is unpleasing to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning, if we are here today and we are struggling in some area of hope or some area, Lord, we just don't get this stuff and it seems to be just difficult and why is this always happening? Why do I always go back to the ark and why do I always do this? Lord, we thank you this morning. You are a promise-making, covenant-keeping God. Lord, we rest on that today. And Lord, if there are those here today that are in a stinky spot, Lord, in a tough place, Lord, I pray you remind us, Lord, to come into your presence, Lord, to hear your voice, to do what you say, and we remind that you're a covenant-making, promise-keeping God. Lord, for those of us who are walking from hope to hope and things are good, remind us, it's not because we're great, it's not because we've done all this great stuff, it's because we serve a promise-keeping, covenant-making God. You are faithful, you are good this morning. Lord Jesus, be with us, go with us this week. Remind us whose we are. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says, amen and amen. Is God good or what this morning? Come on, church. We serve a good God. Bless you. God, keep this week. Have a wonderful week. 
We will see you again next week. Next week, have a wonderful day. Go.